The goal of these biosyntic technologies is to enable us to move from these invasive tissue biopsies towards what we call liquid biopsies. And this is where what we want to do is just to be able to screen patients even before they present any symptoms and check if, our, if there are these biomarkers and signals of disease. Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Welcome to episode 23 of Science Town. I'm Julie West. CAST researchers are developing innovative portable technologies across scales and disciplines with applications in fields such as healthcare, carbon capture, water treatment, environmental monitoring, and reef restoration. Science Town delves into examples of these technologies and their benefits in a three-part podcast series. In this first interview, Dana Suleiman, an assistant professor of material science and bioengineering, introduces us to portable biosensing devices and explains why they are a novel way to detect cancer and help physicians and clinicians choose the most effective treatments for patients. Welcome, Dana. Thank you, Julie, for having me. It's great to be here. So your area of research is biosensing technologies in the context of healthcare. Um, so first of all, what is meant by biosensing? Great. Uh, that's a wonderful question. So uh, biosensing or the field of biosensing is quite an interdisciplinary field. And the main idea of biosensors is that these are devices and technologies that enable us to gather clinical pathological information from biological samples from a patient. And we use this information to then inform clinical decisions. Okay, and you, you are teaching a uh, biosensing materials class. So uh, what kinds of pursuits might your students be looking at? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's great. I just developed this course. Uh, it's sort of a hybrid course um, that's offered to both bioengineering students and materials science and engineering students. So I tried to approach this course in an interesting way where you're looking from two perspectives. And the idea is I introduce the students to five different classes of materials that they can manipulate and engineer to develop sensors. And then I introduce them to all the biomarkers, the clinically relevant molecules found in the body that we can detect and get information from and sort of bring everything together. What are the biomarkers of interest and how can we use materials to actually detect them? What is it about cross-disciplinary that really becomes of value or even essential to this particular field? Uh, that's a wonderful question as well, Julie. Um, so the main thing about uh, this field and particularly biosensing is that it really does introduce concepts from different areas and you need to be able to integrate them with each other in order to design effective technologies and effective tools to address healthcare problems. And so in, in the world of biosensing, this means understanding what are biologically relevant molecules and how they can inform us about the disease. And then from the other side, from an engineering perspective, what types of tools and fundamental engineering concepts can we apply in order to see these um, biomarkers, to see these molecules of interest and detect them in um, an efficient way. 
So what are the current technologies being used to detect cancer? And what role would biosensing technologies play in this? Um, currently, the gold standard conventional techniques to detect cancer, unfortunately, they rely on technologies that are very invasive, they're quite expensive, and they detect disease at its later stages. Um, so the most gold standard method is basically taking a tissue biopsy of um, the site where the tumor is. And that's very invasive, and typically um, a patient only comes into the clinic to start off these uh, diagnostic uh, strategies at later stages when the symptoms arise. Um, and so the goal really here is to move away from invasive tissue biopsies towards developing techniques called liquid biopsies where we can use biosensors to get information from liquid samples even before a patient presents clinical symptoms, so at the asymptomatic stages. And this is super important because within these stages, that's when a patient is most treatable. That's when um, the tumor is most, um, it's most amenable to, to kind of being treated. So this is really critical for um, future healthcare assessments. Exactly. And, and this is really what we call the field of precision medicine. We listen and, and we, we look at what the patient's biological foods are presenting, whether that's in their genetics, epigenetics, proteomics, and we're then trying to inform clinical decisions from that. So where does the portability component come into play? Biosensors come in very different um, shapes, forms, and sizes, um, and so they can be quite big um, pieces of, of, of um, instrumentation, and they can be as small as, you know, a micro, microchip. Um, and so the, the field is moving towards portable devices, miniaturized devices, and even wearable sensors, um, because that means greater accessibility, and that also means lower cost, um, and also faster diagnostics. So you can basically look at devices in many different shapes, and um, we are moving towards kind of these small patches that can be applied onto the skin in order to detect these biomarkers. Um, other people are looking towards kind of finger prick uh, type biosensors, very similar to glucose monitoring uh, devices that we see commonly. You're listening to Science Town. So you mentioned you mentioned the patch, mm -hmm. and you mentioned the um, the fluids. Mm -hmm. um, are you actually working to develop something portable involving both of those? And if so, what might those be? Oh yeah, so. Basically, um, when we're looking for biomarkers, you can find them in different parts of the body. And as I said, we don't want to look at tissue uh, samples. We want to look at liquid samples. And actually, um, biomarkers are found, particularly the biomarker I'm interested in, microRNA, it's found in all biological fluids. Um, so that means serum, and that means um, interstitial fluid, it means um, urine, saliva, and everything like that. So when we're trying to decide, you know, what format or how do we develop and design our biosensor, we first ask ourselves, where can we find this biomarker? We want to choose a fluid that is non-invasive, as in when we take the sample, it's not painful for a patient and doesn't cause bleeding. And so, um, for example, for this patch, the fluid that we're detecting biomarkers markers from is called interstitial fluid of the skin and that's this fluid that lies actually it bathes cells it's all around cells everywhere in our body but you can also find it um, in the superficial layers of your skin 
And so when you apply a patch onto that and, um, you know, reach just the superficial layers, you actually don't cause any pain or bleeding, but you still absorb these clinically informative molecules. And that's how we're trying to detect or develop these um, patches for that. Now, if I'm trying to detect molecules from blood, then I'll have to do a finger prick type assay. So it really depends. So what information are you getting from that? Okay, mm-hmm. you've put the patch on. I've come, mm-hmm. or you've come to me. Maybe I wouldn't mm-hmm. come to you. Unless I'm in a rural setting, potentially. Mm-hmm. Can't make it to the highly specialized hospital. Mm-hmm. You come to me. I want to know if um, cancer might be an issue for mm-hmm. me. You put this patch on. Mm-hmm. And then what happens to the information? What, what's going mm-hmm. on? How do you actually get, get a readout, I guess? Yeah, that's great. So when I place this patch onto the skin, there is um, different methods of, of absorbing the fluid, this interstitial fluid, from the skin onto the microneedle patch. Now, once it's there, on, on the patch itself, there are some receptors, bioreceptors, that are specific towards the biomolecule or biomarker of interest. Now, when it binds, something happens. There's a transduction mechanism. That can either result in the release of a fluorescent signal, some type of optical signal that we can see or detect, or it causes an electrical signal, an electrical readout, like a digital signal. So it depends on how we design the sensor, but you'll get either a color, a fluorescent, or an electrical signal. Wow, all that (laughs) in a little patch. (laughs) Um, And then, uh, okay, so, but would that give you just general um, feedback of, yes, we know there's cancer based on this fluorescing or based on this electrical signal, or could you actually hone in and see more specifically it's exactly this kind of cancer, and we know that because of X, Y, and Z that we're seeing. So the nice thing about our readouts, our transduction mechanism, is that it results in a signal that is extremely quantitative. So I can say exactly how many of these molecules are floating. Now, if I have this information, I can correlate it to the disease. Um, the other important thing is that we're not detecting one molecule floating in there. We're actually detecting multiple at the same time. So I get this profile. And when I see this profile of biomarkers, I can use this profile and compare it to what I know about cancers, and I can tell exactly the type of cancer. So I can stratify disease, not just detect its presence. Gosh, that's fascinating. Are are there other related components of portability um, surrounding this technology? Yeah, so the main thing is that the sensor itself, the whole sensor is very portable and can place can be placed onto the skin, onto the body. But the second component is that the signal itself, once we get it, we can actually wireless, wirelessly transmit it to a phone or other device. So both components. I see. So that could be transmitted back to the clinic exactly. or back to the doctor. Mm-hmm. listening to Science Town. So this sounds like you would need clinical trials um, behind this. Are you actually at that stage of development yet? Or yeah, what, what, what might be next after you've perfected the the technology. 
Yeah, so right now we're at the stages of um, validating technically um, whether the biosensor is sensitive enough and whether it's specific enough. So that's the first thing that we're doing. Um, and we're also now um, starting to collaborate with in clinicians in local hospitals, so King Faisal Specialist Hospital, who are providing us with real clinical samples from patients. So they're taking patient samples as well as healthy control samples. We're getting that um, these biological fluids and we're testing them to validate them clinically. Now, in in you know an academic setting, we only have um, you know. Um, certain capacity to to validate with clinical samples but ideally the next stage is to get this work patented um, and then further on we can do much larger clinical studies before it can get approved i see so more like a proof of concept I exactly guess. we're at that stage okay okay and are there any key challenges or considerations concerning scale mm -hmm. that you'd need to factor in the design of these instruments? That's a great question. I think um, one thing that a lot of us kind of bioengineers um, forget about is that you know, at some point we want these devices to reach a patient and for that we need to make sure that they're manufactured in a sustainable way um, and you can have, um, you know, very large quantities being manufactured also at low cost. So we actually tried to think about that from the beginning through the choice of material that we use. Um, and so sometimes this means the polymer that we're using is biocompatible and biodegradable. Sometimes this means that the receptor itself can withstand very extreme conditions, and that means it can be placed into conditions where the manufacturing is quite versatile and robust. So we hope to factor that in, and I think this will play out in the later stages when we want to upscale. So I'm curious, is that is that consideration for sustainability specific to housed and your role here or are is the medical community in general having these conversations I think I see that the medical community is moving towards that. You know, of course, last year, actually, KAUST had um, the um, KAUST Research Open Week. The theme was about sustainability. So these ideas definitely were inspired by um, when I first came here and the importance of what I heard. Um, but of course, I've started to notice that the entire community is moving towards that, especially after the COVID pandemic, when we've been using so many biomedical devices and a lot of them have been just thrown out um, and, and cannot be recycled. So people are starting to think that this is, you know, healthcare field is going to be using a lot of materials. So we need to make sure that these materials are sustainable and recyclable and biodegradable. Really good to hear. Mm -hmm. And what, what drew you to this area of cancer research? <laughs> I guess there are many different reasons, but one of them is because um, it's more of a, a personal kind of um, situation that happened in my family and, and friends where I had some family members uh, get diagnosed with this disease. And I had already been, um, I guess, uh, initiated into the field of kind of biomarkers for disease diagnostics. So I decided to kind of choose to focus on biomarkers that can inform us about cancer. Um, and that's where I really started working on this field and dedicating my research towards that. Okay. I learned that when you were a, were a girl, mm -hmm. <laughs> your mother gave you interesting engineering problems to solve. Like what? <laughs> yeah, so I don't know why, but since we were really young, um, I guess we we're five kids, and it's really hard to control the five kids. Get, we get quite rowdy. And so my mom would sit us at least once a week. Um, we sit together after lunch, and you know, to get us thinking about things apart from just playing outside, she would come up with these interesting, let's say, engineering problems I remember one very well 
One was, um, you know, what if I had, um, I wanted you to design one bottle, uh, but this bottle can house many different, um, you know, drinks. So I wanted to house um, water, juice, uh, milk. Um, how can you design this such that, you know, we're minimizing waste. You have one bottle, but it can contain all the different types of drinks that you want to have. And that just took me weeks to think about, you know, it was a very practical problem. But, you know, these ideas of initial engineering design were really seeded uh, at these initial stages. And I'm very thankful for my mom to have, you know, planted yes. these ideas in our thoughts. Mm -hmm. have, have you had an opportunity to work with uh, young girls to encourage them on a STEM path potentially? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So I'm really, really passionate about um, outreach and, you know, inspiring young girls um, into STEM and to stay within the STEM fields. Um, I've actually done a couple of courses when I was at MIT. Um, and one of the big things I learned from, you know, evidence-based research is that unfortunately, girls, you know, they, they love science at the initial stages of their academia. And unfortunately, they begin to leave at some stage. And the reason why is they feel like they don't belong. And when I heard that reason, I was shocked. You know, is it just that, that they feel like they don't belong? Um, so when I heard that, I thought I wanted to be part of the solution, at least some type of role model in that students, you know, young students, young girls can see that, yes, there are women in this field and I can do what she's doing um, and I can achieve what she's achieving. Yes, and you're young and accomplished and undoubtedly set a, a powerful uh, role model. Well, Dana, thank you so much for joining us in the podcast studio today. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. It was a pleasure. Thanks to everyone who took part in this episode. Science Town is produced by Julie West and Alex Arias. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.